This place is not for me An open window does not make an open road And I'll leave, I hope you see In that space without me That I loved you, baby They turn to morn I'm just here waiting for you taken a week off it's been a while i forget <laughs> yeah. how to do this <laughs> I don't, is this I don't a camera um, no probably not <laughs> uh, we want to thank everyone we're sorry that uh, we had to cancel last week a series of many uh, different events sort of came up um and uh, we had to sort of push out what our original plan was that being said uh one of the guests that was one of the first people i reached out to when we started doing this a while ago uh jake blunt 
um, is joining us tonight. And I have been super, super excited about this for over a month. Um, partially because when I talked to him, he ran off to my favorite place in the world up in Maine. Uh, so I want to talk to him about that. Uh, but uh, also just uh, because he's doing really, really wonderful work. And, and I, I'd love to sort of pick his brain and uh, see if he has uh, sort of any, any lessons learned that he can share with us. So I'm excited. And you... Yes, but... <laughs> <laughs> right into the guest. We usually like catch up on the last couple of weeks and talk Fair about enough. stuff. And so you you got ahead of us. Now I don't know where we are. Wits. I'm flipping through shit here, trying to figure we'll, out. We'll, we'll get to the announcement stuff too. I was just excited about Jake. It's, you know. Oh no, that's that's totally fine. Um, Ethan Ethan's the one. Um, I'm the one that like wants notes for the show and you know what are the questions we're going to ask and all that stuff. And Ethan is the one where ah, set list. Who needs a set list? Will and then the rest of the band behind him has no idea what's going on. So. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, you know, uh, some people are really organized and some people are me. <laughs> That's very uh, true. That's very true. So how was your week? How are things? Uh, a week was good. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying sort of uh, the fruits of the lounge stage just keep sort of paying off for me. A lot of people have been following up and just for talking through how that worked. It was, you know, the funny thing is um, of all times for it to work out this way, we've been running a stage that we made no money doing uh, and that we weren't able to pay artists for doing for 10 years, but we were able to get them in front of, you know, uh, on average somewhere between 500 to 700 people for the last five or six years. And um, this year uh, when the festival kind of virtualized and we decided to do our own thing through this, um, we were able to pay artists and I was the one that was, that was sending out money. And that was really, that was, that was fun. Just spending a day saying, and you get a paycheck, and you get a paycheck. And, yeah. Um, I want to thank everyone that that uh, may have been there that that's tuning in tonight or, or watching us. You know, when we get on YouTube, uh, it really was a wonderful experience. The dog just barreled his way into the room. Um, but uh, yeah, and uh, just thanks, uh, thanks for everyone that was part of that. Um, because of that, we've been able to make uh, a bunch of little changes. Um, our relationship with Twitch is sort of getting better uh, due to all the people that we're in. So we get more little emoticons and for the people that haven't seen those, oh, I, I don't know yeah. why that I find them as fascinating as I do. But if you subscribe, you have to subscribe. If you subscribe to us, you can add this to the chat or this or that or my personal favorite, Mr. Vance Gilbert. So these are stupid little things, but Vance Gilbert dental exam. Yeah, it, in, in my heart, it's stupid little things that make life worth living. Um, yep. And along those lines, um, I've made a lot of sort of small administrative changes and larger administrative changes. One of which is this is the first week that you actually can watch this show live from our website. Our live feed is uh, embedded in Tribal TV um, uh, in in that area. So that's that's kind of exciting. I'm going to be doing more with that through the future. I still think Twitch is the best place What's to go. What's the website again, Ethan? Tribalmischief.com. There we go. Yeah. Um, so uh, excited about that. Uh, I also switched our merch store. We had some neat stuff, and I'm going to miss. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to retire. You know what? Well, let, let, let's show my stupid little commercial for my favorite stupid thing that we won't be able to use anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Rest in peace, peace, stealth mug. 30 seconds of precious, pre do you know how much <laughs> airtime costs us? Precious airtime to show a commercial for something that doesn't exist anymore. If you have one, I, now there, we'd like to use the, it's limited edition, It's there's only a few left, and <clears throat> you, that's what I'm, we I'm, Sadly, I think, I think the limited edition is one that I have, but, you, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, but the fun stuff is, I actually really do like that the quality of the merch actually went up. The shirts through the place that we used to use, kind of uh, the new ones I like a lot better. And of course, uh, as I showed off my favorite emoticons, you can now have fun with those. Um, or or not. It's up to you. Oh, um, dear Lord. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's... It's, it's, uh, it's Yeah, and... And the nice thing is the the relationship uh -oh. with this particular vendor, we actually get. Uh, uh, sorry, Christine. Christine wants a mug. Uh oh, Christine. I I tell you what. I actually haven't I haven't deleted the uh, the old thing yet. I will we'll we'll put the URL in uh, in in the chat, and you can still go there. But I would do it immediately because I'm gonna cancel it. Because <laughs> they they charge us money uh, regardless, and the new place only charges uh, us a fraction of what we sell. So we sell something, and we get a bunch of money from it, and they get some money from it. Um, Just to give the shout uh, out real quick, twitch.tv slash tribal mischief is our home. We'll be cutting over there in a little bit, so make sure that you make the switch. We know that Christine will follow us over there. Um, we appreciate mug that. is what's up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's the first commercial I ever made, and we're going to share right before we have Jake on. Um, uh, this weekend, I think a bunch of you probably are aware, this weekend was the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And it has been fantastic. And I think they've created sort of the gold standard of what taking an uh, in-person festival online looks like. And that doesn't mean that there weren't little hurdles and blips and whatever, because that's just how technology works, especially you know, first time technology, but I was really, really proud because we have friends over there, um, Justin Nordell, Lisa Schwartz, and of course, Kimberly Sinclair, who was our guest two weeks ago. Yeah. They did a really remarkable job. And uh, one of the things that we we uh, did with them is we, we created a commercial um, because they offered to uh, put us up in some of the transitions and uh, they were really kind. They gave us a, a, a number of shout outs that were completely unnecessary but appreciated um, from stage, including one right before uh, Justin Nordell, previous guest of the show, friend of the show, proposed to uh, his long-term boyfriend. And uh, that was a lovely moment. I really, uh, I love that. And I felt like it was branded tribal mischief, which, you know, thank you. <laughs> Helping people get together. Tribal mischief approves this message. <laughs> it's, you know, we're all about community, however the level of intimacy. But so oh, anyway, you know, they they <coughs> when they had first said when Philly Folk had said that they were going to be doing a festival like this, um, you and I were kind of like, oh, that's really interesting because we don't know how that's going to work. And a lot, I mean, this is not taking anything away. I think a lot of it was pre-recorded, but they had a ton of live stuff. Um, they had some great. Um, <clears throat> you know, behind the scenes photos um, of sort of the control room where all of this was being done. Um, but I know that we, we, you know, we're, we're um, hesitant maybe um, about what they were going to be able to pull off. And look, we know Justin and 
Lisa and and Kimberly. It's not that we doubted by any means, but we also know the technology behind it and what a challenge that is. And um, you know, we've seen a bunch of different models. Falcon Ridge did a did a great job with theirs. You know, doing a few hours of music, pre-recorded stuff a day. Um, man philly was just a just another level i mean they had merchandise and they had um campsites that were streaming and they could be private campsites or public campsites and um they really they really did a great job what i loved is they actually had uh tied in to i forget the service but it's a food delivery service uh and they had some basic fast foods that would tie in through like doordash or whatever it was two local places that would make that food and deliver it. Oh, so you could even that, like that was to me, that was, you know, mwah, well yeah. done guys. Well yeah. done. The details, uh, the little details. It, it was, it was, uh, you know, and is, it's still going on. Um, if, if it oh, weren't right. for this wonderful uh, conversation that I'm super looking forward to, I would be watching uh, Irish Myron. I think is right now. Pretty, yeah. pretty shortly. Um, I think but, about five minutes before we went live. But I am I am even more excited to speak with our guest, uh, who we'll have on momentarily right after we run our, our little commercial. Um, and uh, I know the the faithful, the folks that have been uh, joining us for a while already know this, but please um, comment, uh, jump in, ask us questions, um, because we you know this is an this is a conversation that was that was the goal from the beginning, um, and uh, uh, yeah, that's the point. Other than that, I don't think I think that's I think that's it for my announcements. I, I I feel like we got through a whole. Oh, what are you drinking? Whiskey. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. What are you drinking? You had a photo, it, right? Yes, it's called the Glorious Bastard, and because I knew I would mostly have it drunk by the time we started. Glorious Bastard. Yeah, the, oh, I'm sorry. The uh, suffering bastard. Suffering bastard. I, yeah. I recreated a different drink that I called the glorious bastard. Um, but this is the suffering bastard, which is a super tasty uh, gin and bourbon uh, based drink. Uh, I'm a fan. All right. <clears throat> we've been through the alcohol. We've been <laughs> through the merch. We've been through uh, previous announcements. Oh, uh, one last thing. Um, Kimberly Sinclair's uh, album. I'm Bianchi. I'm telling you to comment right now because I can put your comment on the screen. So there's that. I like that his hair is very, uh, just because he said not the boss of me, the hair in that picture feels very 1980s Springsteen. Uh, yeah, yeah so, that's yeah. that's where Tom goes. He'll go with the bandana and the, the headband and all that stuff. Gets a little, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, and that totally lost my train of thought as far as where it was going. Um but uh, I guess fine. with that, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll I'll remember to say whatever I'm going to say later. <laughs> um, uh, that being said, uh, we're going to run our little commercial and we're going to bring Jake in and I'm super excited. That's it. That's all I got. Community. It allows us to gather and revel in what we share. Times like this, we miss it. There is a way to continue the conversation and the collaboration. Tribal Mischief. Join us every week as we celebrate the people doing exceptional work and discuss the challenges facing creative We are grown. We're all grown. Together. Mr. Jake Blunt. 
So am I pronouncing it right? Is it blunt or I'm, I'm, I'm asking because I am one of the worst offenders at just deciding that I know how something's supposed Corey. to be pronounced. You're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> you've it, thus far, we've, you and I have only like interacted, interacted person to person. I think two or three times we talked twice at Nerfa. Um, and I can't remember if we run into each other at, in festival land prior to that. I feel like that might've been it. That, that might've been it. And yeah. you were completely wonderfully gracious. You were there uh, in, in your duo form. Is it Tui? Yes. Excellent. I'm two for two on pronunciations. That is, <laughs> that is much more than my average. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I love talking to you there. I loved uh, your introduction uh, for your, the formal showcase that you guys played. Uh, I love your formal showcase. I, I really enjoyed that. Yep. Um, and uh, just sort of the, the interesting thing about Nerf for me, because it's an organization I work with. Um, I am not obligated, but I, I find I feel uh, a, a personal drive that that I need to meet people that I don't already know, because it's sort of the trap in small communities. You get to know people, and over time, specifically things like uh, the Northeast Regional Folk Alliance and the festival season, it's one of the few times you get to see some of the friends that you know. Because the wonderful thing with being a musician is you can be like, oh, I'm on. I'm on the road. I'm in Baltimore. I'm going to call my Baltimore friends. You call them yeah. and you're like, hey, that's cool. I'm in Boston. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I loved our conversation and it just, it made me really excited. So when Jake and I first conceived of this show, you were one of the first people I, I, I kind of wanted to talk to. Um, and that was before I knew everything about the new album and, and uh, a lot of the work you've been doing in the background. And uh, the new album, Lord, the new album, it's a great album, man. Thank you. you. And um, I should I should say not. It, it's not that I'm I'm biased, but I find that a lot of traditional records, particularly ones that pull uh, as deeply as, as your do, can you can lose a lot of the passion um, in the performance, uh, and and the simplicity can kind of uh, turn into. Uh, taking a traditional song and making it just sort of feel like, like, like you're going, not going through the motions, but I think, you know what I, I'm, I'm meaning to say, yeah. but you breathe life into this. It's so wonderfully you, cause I had heard your previous record. Um, and, and this felt like a continuation and, and your particular attention to, um, and, and of course you could tell me that uh, my, my assumption here is completely wrong, but uh, it felt to me like you you put effort into uh, getting to the heart of what the song was and sticking to that and not doing the flashy stuff where you're just trying to add to it and get a big group sing in the middle of it because why not? Um, and I just, I really love it. Well, um, thank you. So, sorry. I, uh, I, I don't think I warned you. We have this <laughs> habit of heaping praise on our guests. And <laughs> That's we're going to be pretty consistent with that. Uh, so anyway, um, that that that's sort of my thing. Uh, can, can you do you want to sort of introduce us to the record uh, Spider Tales? Yeah. So Spider Tales sort of sort <laughs> of originated uh, from. I'm sorry. I'm going to turn down my mic level a little bit. I'm clipping a okay. little bit. Okay. <clears throat> um. Yeah. Spider Tales sort of came out of. Uh, 
bunch of musical work that I was doing uh, with Tatiana Hargraves after the release of my first EP, Reparations. Um, mm -hmm. We were touring, uh, playing a bunch of shows, and we wound up doing either shows that were longer than the record was and we had to add new stuff or we got bored and we added new stuff or, you know, we had a couple shows where they were like, come perform specifically the repertoire of Manco Sneed. And we were like, okay, uh, <laughs> let's learn 12 new tunes right now. Um, <laughs> so after all of this time and taking some of that repertoire on the road, opening for Rhiannon Giddens and other folks, um, I just decided it was time to like make a full length album, uh, kind of pull out all the stops to get an actual full band together, which I hadn't ever done for any of it before. Mm -hmm. And really try to pull together what, what I was seeing in the music that made me want to play it and what made me pick those songs. So I wound up using probably half stuff that we'd already come up with and then about half of it was new stuff that we developed for the album specifically uh, and just pulled it together to to bring bring out some commonalities that I see in the different facets of the black and indigenous musical traditions of the southern United States uh, which is the focus of the album and has historically been the focus of my work in general mm -hmm. and and sorry could, could we get a little bit more of your mic actually we've got some comments yes. that uh, folks are having a hard time hearing you um it's a delicate and, balance yes and and, and i and i just realized this earlier because I, I made these little name tags to put in front front of us and i realized when i first did it i was like uh jake ethan jake ah jake b ethan jake no that's not gonna work either uh so it just I was like you're getting a full name we're gonna go with a full name for you um, well i'm not complaining uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's really great record. And, and I feel like, you know, um, so I don't know if you've caught any of our previous podcasts or, or um, I know I talked to you a little bit about what we're trying to do and, and sort of the, the idea behind this, um, uh, sort of the heart of, I, I, I think Jake and my passion is the long-term health of the roots community as a whole. And, both of us believe deep in our hearts that the long-term health can only be achieved through a broadening of the audience, a broadening of the voices uh, that are getting attention within the space and and an understanding uh, that we should be honoring some of our traditions, but we should also be questioning them and we should also be understanding. And it, it's, it's a tightrope, man. Um, it's felt like a tightrope to us because we, or I should say, I have a habit of routinely stomping uh, on on some things in the name of, of trying to work towards progress, you know, whatever you call that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that I find so elegant about the way you are working is you are literally working with the most traditional of materials. And you are looking at it through a lens of intersectionality that uh i mean it, it, it's very sophisticated and uh, i don't know if that's the right word but that's you know it feels like there's a tremendous amount of thought and, well, and care thanks. yeah i mean i think anytime we have that conversation about equity and access in the folk community roots community whatever you want to call it i feel like these mm -hmm. terms all have 
separate but broadly overlapping definitions. Um, To me, uh, I think it's really important that we remember we're not asking something to be slanted in a particular way when Mm -hmm. we're talking about welcoming more people in. I get that all the time is like, well, why should we be bending over backwards to cater to other people when like these folks have been here the whole time? And I think part of the point I'm trying to get across in working with that old material is to say the people were there the whole time, right? The reason that it looks the way it does now is because it got slanted toward one particular type of person. And we're so used to it, we don't see it that way anymore. And now we have to right the ship. And I think that's just part of a broader conversation we have happening in so many different places in this country. Absolutely. It's like, well, all we heard on the radio, you know, all the musicians were, you know, white, for example, or whatever, for a period of time. It's like, well, it's because they were the only ones that got put on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> and, and half and know. half of them were playing black music. Uh, I mean, <laughs> right. when you and look at the roots of it all, no, 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 and there, well, you know, and it occurs to me that there is a um, a, a vi- and I well to the point that I just made, I will only admit that it's visible now, um, but a a visible contingent of <clears throat> um, artists of color younger artists that are diving into this and taking it upon themselves to, to, to dive in. Um, and I don't know, do you feel like that is a um, more of a trend now or is it just more visible now? Uh, I think it's probably a mixture of both. I think there's always been a cohort of people of color, of black people specifically that are working in traditional roots forms I also think that those people didn't get seen until after the Carolina chocolate drops happened. But I also think that the fact that the Carolina chocolate drops happened welcomed vastly more of us into the circle than would have felt comfortable joining otherwise. Um, I feel like I've talked about this like 20 times, but there's um, this really great thing called the Afro Latin on time music gathering that Dr. Dina Jennings puts on in orange Virginia every year. And it's just sort of a gathering of forces for a lot of black people who are working in these forms, uh, playing this music and a lot of white folks who are working alongside us. And last year, Rhiannon Giddens just like dropped in on her way from the Americana Awards. She literally like flew from the Americana Awards and like showed up in a rental car with her Americana Award in a tote bag and like hadn't slept in three days. And she just like had to be there to invest in the community because she is selfless. And um, she just said at one point, I'm sorry, there's going to be a siren. It's okay. I live between a hospital and a police precinct and a fire department. So it's uh, it's loud. But um, at one point, she just said, I can't believe that I'm here right now and there are people I don't know. Yep. Right? That people have That's... been trying to make these gatherings happen and only yep, yep. now is it getting big enough that we don't all know every face that's there. And that's really exciting. It, it shows yep. a lot of progress. And, and we were having sort of the conversation in one of our first episodes, the second episode, with um, uh, Randy Green and Dan Whitener from Gangster Grass sort of about their experience being in the space and and the difference between uh, an all white space an all white and one black person space and a a a space with 
some level of equity. Um, and in particular, sort of the, the discussion about um, ensuring that the representation isn't, isn't A, simply tokenism, but B, uh, which sort of talked about being just as dangerous, but sort of an exoticism mm -hmm. uh, to a certain extent where, yeah. oh, you're the black guy, you must play jazz, or you're the, or you the blue guy, or do you do rap, you rap, you do one of those three things. And um, I, what I really have loved seeing within the community in the last year or so is I, I feel like there are artists coming in and just being themselves. And that's not to say that they couldn't have been a jazz blues or whatever they wanted to be uh, artists. But it's not but a given, yeah. Yes, exactly. And and there's there's individuality um, that I don't feel, uh, as someone that really grew up in this scene, I, I felt like if you were a black artist, um, and this might have been my own you know, blinder bias uh, as being a white guy in the scene, but growing up in the scene, I felt like if you were a black person in the scene, you were either the blues person or you were the uh, the Tracy representative. Chapman. Well, Tracy Chapman or, or, <laughs> or, or a representation of a throwback of the civil rights songs mm -hmm. where you were coming with specifically right. to be the representation of what this community really... Um, for some good reasons and for some unfair reasons, the, the folk community has that tie to the civil rights movement. And, and it's for a lot of particularly the older generation in our scene, it's, it's something that they feel a, a real, you know, connection to. And that being said, you know, uh, as the programming committee chair for NERFA every year, I, I get a suggestion. We should do a panel led by me, this white person, on how folk music made the civil rights movement happen and solved racism, you know, and I'm slightly paraphrasing, but it's, it's that level. And every time I'm like, every time I'm just like, I'm not putting a white person on stage to talk about what white people have done for black people. That is, that is just tone deaf to a level that I don't, anyway, I don't, I don't mean to go off about it, but it's, it's one of those things. And I think part of it's generational um, where I think if you live through that, you see the specific history and you want to have some of living it. If you're younger, the notion of a white person talking about, you know, white saviorship, uh, that, I mean, that, that, that it's a trope for a reason and it feels real awkward. Totally. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, Nerfa was my first time being at sort of a folk conference as opposed mm -hmm. to I mean, I've been to uh, IBMA before. So I've done like mm -hmm. the bluegrass version of it. And yep. I feel like festivals are the old time version of it. So I'm familiar with that. But I was walking around. I was like, I hear Tracy Chapman everywhere in this building. Yes. And well, it's it's really funny to me. I because I agree with you that um, when when you're in those sorts of spaces, there's there's this tendency to assume, even like before I started specializing in the way that I do now professionally, right? Mm -hmm. I have a whole different musical specialty in the regional style of Ithaca, New York. No one ever asks me about that. No one asks me to do it, right? There's like this sense of like, there's a place that you fit. And it's not because I don't want to talk about the other stuff. It's all good. But I think it's interesting to me to have walked into that knowing that 
Tracy Chapman is a part of this story, that Terry Callier is a part of this history, frankly, and like no one knows mm -hmm. that he exists. Uh, but his his music is just incredible. That there have been black people making all sorts of different sounds in the folk genre for all this time, and still like where is the market? Is in these places where we can be easily tokenized and used to represent something rather than appreciated as individuals. Yeah. There's, um, uh, bear with me for a moment as I get to why this is, is the connection. There's sort of, uh, an old, um, thing that I've seen happen in, in folk communities in particular in the notion of young folk or new artist, uh, where the fascination won't become, uh, with, I'd say people like you, people in their 20s, people in their relative early 20s, early mid 20s, um, who are trying to make a career, but rather, hey, we found this 14 year old who just can wail on the banjo and she doesn't have a website and she doesn't have any records, but we really think she should be in this program and should play a stage in front of 30,000 people. And um, it's happened to, like I've run into that a number of times in a number of different places. And uh, th there's an aspect to it that is, and, and I mean this of the people who are looking at it, I don't think they're cognizant of it, but there's a level of essentially circus freakness to it. Where it's like, hey, look at this thing that's completely unique in a weird way. Not that we want to make it equal with everything else. We just want to point out how unique it is. Mm -hmm. And I worry in particular when there is that pigeonholing and or that categorization of people um, as it relates to, again, the notion of keeping the door open. Yeah. Uh, like to me, that is, that is slamming the door shut. Yeah. Um, I think you see a lot of different black artists in the acoustic genres broadly trying to push back against that. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, but just observing the arc of people's careers, um, you know, I noticed like Kai Cater came out with an album that everyone was talking about, like this black banjo player, Kai Cater. And then she came out with a totally different album that had a lot less banjo on it. And all of a sudden it was just about Kai Cater and how good she is. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that I think I, I speculate um, that there's a pattern here of of sort of wanting to latch on and say, look at this super exciting, cool thing, rather than saying, look at this really talented and insightful individual. And I know I have definitely had to sort of, uh, I've, I've had to be careful in, in exploring uh, the roles that I can fulfill in, in this conversation, partially because I like want to be performing traditional music right now. I'm not going to like sit here and tell you that's the only thing I'll ever do. Cause I don't know, but mm -hmm. I haven't felt a desire to write original music at the same time. I, for probably the first two years of my career, half the booking emails I got were just like, we wanted Rhiannon Giddens, but she's too expensive. So we got you, right? And there's just like this notion that we're interchangeable because we play <laughs> some of the same instruments and some of the same music, even though like, I can't sing like that. What? <laughs> it's um, it's funny. As, as Booker, it's a challenge that, that Ethan and I run into because we are motivated and, and dedicated to, as, as we said earlier, to like broadening the tent. Um, exposing more people to more music that they wouldn't have otherwise heard. 
So I want to get Gangsta Grass in front of as many people as I can because I think they're monsters and I love their music. <clears throat> you know, we book this festival stage every year. And it, again, it's I, I feel like it sort of goes back to, to what we were saying earlier, that if the pool of music is older and white, if that's the, the, the largest number of, the, of visible artists, well, if I'm going to book a stage, the first ones I'm going to go or the one, the first ones that come to mind, the, the you know the ones that have the draw, they're the ones that everybody knows, and those are going to be those artists. And so, <clears throat> there is this balance. Excuse me, sorry, um, between not falling victim to, to tokenism and going, well, okay, we need a black artist, and okay, great, we got Jake, so we have our black artist, and you know we need a trans artist, and so we got this person. But you know, Ethan and I are do try to be mindful of. Do we have solid representation here? Are we doing this right? Are we doing this fairly? As as an artist, <clears throat> who I don't mean to diminish this by any means, but from a booker's perspective, well, they check off a couple of boxes. Um, as an artist who 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 could be booked, um, you know how do you, how how would you want promoters or or bookers rather to go about that? You know making an effort to make sure that um that there is that representation but not going okay well we got our black artists and we got our you know lgbt yeah. artists and whatever well i had my first like flirtation with being on the programming side of things working on porch pride for bluegrass pride earlier this summer uh which i brought that idea to the executive director and she definitely did like a lot of the heavy lifting as she always does care is incredible but i had the the pleasure of helping her put together the artist roster for it um and that was like that was a challenge for us too right and we're an organization that exists specifically for this purpose um and it i don't think it ever felt like you know we were just like grabbing people because they checked a box or they fit something but it also was we had to be intentional about like, we need to make people feel that we're not doing that um, because it can come across that way. Even when people have good intentions and it's tricky. I don't, I really don't know if there's a one size fits all solution. Uh, and that's, that's the difficult part. Um, from my perspective, I think because of the nature of my work and what I'm writing about, um, what I'm singing about, it would be weird to book me for anything and then not talk about race or sexual orientation or whatever, because that's like the focal point, right? My, my music has a thesis and it is related to those topics. But I think if I were booking a singer songwriter who happens to be a black person, I would bring it up if it came up in the music and <laughs> otherwise just say, Hey, this person's a really great artist. And right is being taken on on those merits and yes they add representation and add a different perspective because even as individuals our art and our perspectives are so influenced by our experience of all these different social categories race gender sexual orientation but at the same time uh the folks who are looking for that are gonna see it uh, and I don't think it needs to be trumpeted from the rooftops. That's when it starts to feel like you're being used as an advertisement um, or to prove a point. And I really just think it's 
gun it's like it it's you're talking earlier about walking the tightrope it's the same thing uh you have to balance a lot of different concerns and each person is going to want a different balance and <laughs> it's just has to be an evolving process so many of the things that we're shooting for in this conversation are just moving goalposts and we're never gonna be done right. uh which is exhausting <laughs> but necessary yeah and and i uh can't remember who exactly I was talking. I was talking to uh, actually uh, a cousin of mine who was sitting at a local um, meeting between the local police chief and representatives from the Black Lives Matter movement about a number of different things. Um, and you know, one of one of the points that really stuck with her that I hadn't I hadn't heard someone vocalize it in these specific words. Um, uh, this was the, the Black Lives Matter representative, was that um, uh, white allies have a habit of wanting to solve something rather than understanding that it's a commitment to be part of an ongoing effort. Mm -hmm. They want to come in and be like, racism solved. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, That's you know, not how it works. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm as someone who is particularly like, you can ask my girlfriend, she has a problem. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go solve it. It's like, that's not why I brought it. But uh, it, it's sort of the, you know, it's a mentality that, you know, I know that I am guilty of at times. And I, to have it pointed out that this seems to be a larger scale issue, just sort of reiterated the fact that, you know, for me, this isn't, you know, this isn't the one conversation I am having uh, with a black artist, this is one of many, and I, uh, to be honest, um, I'm I'm just I'm interested in people that that tickle my fancy that I think are doing awesome things. So to be able to have this conversation with you is is wonderful, and I appreciate any patience you may have. Um, <laughs> with a male uh, thing. yeah, yeah, it's totally a male <laughs> thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I know I, we appreciate. Uh, you know, certainly you being open to having these conversations with us. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, watching and, and uh, reading up about the work you're doing. I thought your interview with NPR was spectacular. I was really excited about that. Oh, so much ago. fun. I can only imagine. Um, it was it was fun to uh, read through it. It was fun to listen to it. Um, it, was, it was a really nice, it was a really nice piece. Um, I'll see if I can find a link. We'll, we'll toss that up there. Um, We'll continue talking, but uh, this is the point that we want to remind people who are watching us on Facebook, jump over to Twitch. We're, we're, we shut down Facebook because Facebook pays us nothing, and they don't really advertise us, nor do they want to advertise. They want us to pay them to advertise us. So um, our, our home is in Twitch, so we're going we're gonna to jump. Uh, hope folks don't mind. And with that being said, bye-bye, Facebook. And now we are 100% on Twitch. Cool. I always worry that I do that backwards. And every time I do it, I, I panic that I've just turned this off on the primary. Uh, but anyway, um, thanks for your patience through that, Jake. Uh, but yeah, I, I, um, I'm interested in sort of what you have to say in particular um, in the many forms of intersectionality that you sort of inhabit in in the folk world, in the artistic world, um, being part of uh, 
Um, I apologize. Do you, do you do you identify as queer or gay yeah. or because I've heard I've heard you you I, I know you've used the term queer a bunch and yeah they're um, interchangeable I, for me. Fair enough, um, and, and I'm aware that for for a, a large group uh, within the LGBT community, it is an interchangeable thing. Uh, but I've also so discovered not. yeah I've discovered it's it's not um, unfortunately, uh, and that was a good learning experience. So. Um, yeah, as as a, a member of the community, uh, it, what I'm interested in is I feel like the LGBTQ community within the folk scene has actually been relatively present for at least 15, 20 years. You have people like Pat Humphreys, you have people who have been out and proud since the 80s mm -hmm. um, and not not just not ostracized, but really taken to be key voices in the overall scene. Uh, how does that intersectionality and is that just my perception or you know no i think you're totally right um and i don't know it's interesting again coming from like the more traditional side of folk music uh i think in the old time scene there have always been queer people lgbtq people around and part of the scene but not in a way that was like talked about or really like brought into it wasn't one thing, it's one thing to be there and it's another thing to be engaged you know um and i think i've definitely met a lot of older queer folks in the folk scene as opposed to the old time scene or the bluegrass scene who feel like you know they've been around they've been performing with their partners for decades etc and all these things that like probably wouldn't have happened in my circle not necessarily because anyone would have objected it's just not what's done for some reason mm -hmm. um and i think there's a lot to be said about the messages that different genres and scenes send unintentionally where walking into nerfa i'm like okay this is a bunch of old hippies they're probably going to be chill <laughs> and like for the most part, they are. Um, whereas, like, the first time walking into IBMA, I was like, mm, this is a lot of people singing about straight white Jesus. That's a red flag for me. And yep. I've had great times at IBMA, and IBMA as an organization has been super supportive of yep. Bluegrass Pride and of other initiatives that have gone on as part of World of Bluegrass and uh, other programming that they've got. I've really got got fewer complaints with them than any other institution <laughs> but um it's uh it still sends a message when you walk in the door if certain things are being sung certain things are being discussed and certain things aren't uh and if you don't see people who look like you and you see these things that often go along with places that are less welcoming like you know confederate flags or gospel music or whatever um there are plenty of people who participate in both of those things who do not do so with any hostile intent i think the confederate flag is pretty hostile no matter which way you slice it but gospel music obviously is not uh there are plenty of queer people who also consider themselves christians um it just uh for me sends a message and i think the folk scene 
has I don't the think advantage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I think the folk scene has the advantage of not being as immersed in that, right? You don't walk into Nerfa and hear gospel songs and murder ballads right away. And there aren't people with Confederate flags. And yeah. that to me just, I walked in, I was like, okay, I'm like at the Washington Folk Festival, but four hours north. Uh, it was a familiar <laughs> scene and territory. And I think that it is welcoming. Um, and the notion that the inclusive politics are as widespread as they are and that yeah. there are queer people not just of my age who i know are going to push the envelope but older folks who've been established and been around which says yes. to me that there has been space for me for a long time yeah. uh, it sets a different tone yeah and i it's one of the things i truly adore about the the northeast regional uh, Folk Alliance and, and that community as a whole. Um, that you know. That being said, I always wonder because as we talk about opening the doors, finding seats at the table for more people, and in particular, uh, we're doing some work with this great organization in Boston. Don't know uh, if you're familiar with them, the Boston Area Music Arts and Soul BAMS, mm -hmm. um, uh, which uh, was started by a fantastic woman, Captain Morris, uh, basically as a uh, urbanized music center, by which I mean Boston and all of sort of the the additional like Roslindale and all of the additional Somervilles and, and towns that make up what Bostonians think of Boston. Because you know when you say you're from Boston, chances are very likely that you're not from Boston. But you yeah. know, um, you know she started she started this wonderful organization, and what I found really amazing about going to her events is she will have. 16 to 70 year olds performing the same night and performing everything from electronic hip hop to old jazz standards. Um, that being said, when I think about Nerfa trying to open the doors a little bit, because roots, I mean, we're, we're roots folk, folk is roots and roots is everything really. I mean, you can, you can justify a whole lot falling under that banner. Um, you know, what happens when gospel gets invited in and you get the cultural clash between uh, what feels to me to be a very agnostic, for the most part, uh, you know, a lot of Judaism uh, in the community. What happens when you take that culture and all of a sudden you're pulling in a, a very white, straight Jesus um, culture? And, you know, how is that going to work? Uh, which isn't a reason not to do it. It's just a question that, you know, uh, it's not just simply saying you're allowed in, it's making it comfortable for them the same way we'd hope that it would be comfortable for someone else. Exactly. But, and I think, you know, when you have those uncomfortable moments, that's like a moment of growth for any community. And I think it's just a matter of being like, yeah, you can be any, like, it doesn't matter what you bring as long as you're not causing a problem. Right. You know, if they yeah. walk in and they're singing the songs or whatever, that doesn't mean that those songs then become the face of what your organization is. Right. There's room to have them there without having it take over. And mm -hmm. um, again, I just think after a certain point, especially with like a thing as well established as Nerfa or Folk Alliance at large, like they're mm -hmm. not going to bring it to you if they're like conservative ideologues who want to find a friendly audience. Right. Like, I, I have a hard time being like, I, you know, am a Trump voter and I hate gay people and, 
this is the only way, and I'm going to bring it to this conference right now. I about, about you're giving eight, me a look that says that that happened, but about eight years ago, after the uh, after the first Obama election, oh um, because one of the things with NARFA is it falls right after national elections. Um, a lot I was of energy. sitting. Yeah, a lot of energy, both good and bad and all over the place. Some bad ones. There have been some bad ones. <laughs> um, and, you know, that particular night we were talking about, uh, we're, I, and this is just a dinner table. I didn't know anyone at the table. It was just struck up conversation. Um, and the conversation basically got to politics. Now, happy we were and this, that, the other thing. And there was a guy across the table who stood up, kicked his chair back so it literally flipped behind him. Like flipped us the bird, screamed and walked out. Um, so does it happen often? No, but it happens. And yeah, there's, I just think there's, there's like you know, I think there's an understanding there are outliers everywhere. You know, like it happening every once in a while doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem. Yep. And like oh, the no. fact remains that dude felt like he had to walk out. Right. Yep. You know. If yep. it were, if the tables were turned and I felt like it was a concerning environment, you would have been the one who had to leave. Yep. But yeah, no, that was, that was a rough year. That was when they started getting loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and they just, they, to use one of the awful phrases, they just don't, they just don't simmer down either. They're mm -hmm. just, they just keep getting more. It's yeah. It, it I, I, uh, because this community matters uh, as much to me as, as it does, I, I particularly appreciate the work you're doing. Um, the phrase I've been using is getting to the root of roots music and, and really understanding the backstory. Because, I mean, at one point uh, in one of your interviews, you mentioned someone playing Turkey in the Straw and being told you, you really shouldn't play that. I don't know Turkey in the Straw all that well. Like, I'd recognize it if you played it, but I Ice cream don't truck song. Yeah, you, you exactly. Know yeah, yeah, but like I don't know the words, and so like you said that, and I was like, I've probably heard that a hundred times, and it never even occurred to me. And you know, uh, one of one of the hits uh, on our last cover record was we did uh, "Durable Dixie Down," mm. um, which you know, to us, from a wording perspective, it's certainly not particularly driven in a pro-slavery or pro-anything, but it certainly it's it has that connotation, that connection. And, yeah. um, you know, Dixie we're probably, mythology is always it, like on the line. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the, you know, there's, there's that question, you know, how do we approach songs like Turkey and the Star? How do we approach songs like Drill Dixie Down? Is it, um, you know, th there are more clear cut cases where there are songs that literally have racial slurs or, you know, amazing misogyny, which I think pretty much any folk song from the 1600s or earlier there's some woman getting taken away or jumping to her death to avoid a man um, in there. Uh, you know, homophobia is certainly sort of studded throughout a lot of Roots music. You know, how, how do we look at that? And is the answer, do we, start, do we stop playing these songs? Do we cease to acknowledge their existence? Do we keep playing them, but only if the conversation is had? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I, I, you know, how, as, as someone who in my mind is, far more qualified as a folklorist than I, you know, how do you think of that? Well, I think there's no like one size fits all thing that we can do with all of those songs. Um, 
each one really has its own problems and each individual problem is going to need to be addressed in a different way. I think for me coming out as an old time musician, the issue is more that, you know, if someone plays Turkey in the straw, there's not like a critical presentation of Turkey in the straw that can happen during an old time jam. Like at the end of the day, you're just playing the tune and a lot of people argue, well, is the melody racist, right? Is, can the tune be the problem if the words aren't there or if the words are different, but you know, there have been instances of black people who've confronted old time jams in public settings and been like, why are you playing Whistling Rufus right now? Because we still know what that is, right? And like, there are going to be people who assume you're sending a message. I think that's even more true of songs. And again, you just have to get to this point of what is this specific piece? What are the problems with it? am I in a position to solve those problems? And if so, how do I do it? And I think one of the things I frequently run up against is people saying, well, yeah, I get that this tune or this song used to be problematic. I want to reclaim it. I want to do a different thing. And I'm like, but you're a white person. You can't reclaim it. You already own it, right? (laughs) That's the problem. Like, if I want to reclaim it, that's different. If I'm not going to tell Rhiannon Giddens she shouldn't go play minstrel banjo, You know, she can reclaim that. But a white person playing minstrel banjo isn't reclaiming it. It's just reenacting it. And there are more and less harmful ways to do that, for sure. But um, I think we all have to be critical of our own positionality to this. I don't sing murder ballads. I've never performed or recorded murder ballads. Because I think as a man, I can present that in a nuanced enough way that it's going to undo all of the like, ah, stab her, put her in the ground, like rah, rah, party boy versions of those songs that have been done over the years. But I'm never going to tell a woman she shouldn't do it. Um, It's just about considering ourselves and considering when we sing the song, who are we going to be identified with by the audience, right? If there are characters and there's a story are they going to read you as the victim or are they going to read you as the killer? Um, It's a complicated line and it sucks because oftentimes you have to sacrifice songs or tunes that you really like. I had to cut a song that I was planning to record for Spider Tales because a different version of it is a murder ballad. And my version didn't have any of the violent verses in it, but I was like, if everyone's going to listen to this and think I've recorded a murder ballad... I have to not do it. Uh, It was one of the things I was most excited about, but it needed to happen. And I don't regret making that choice. Um, It's just a matter of of thinking about the roles that we have to play um, and realizing, you know, maybe we can't have it all and also solve the problems. Uh, And and I, you know, I think that's... uh, the answer that no one's looking for, but everyone should appreciate is there is no straight answer. The answer is you figure it out, you work at it, you you be mindful. Um, and, and because that's not necessarily the easy uh, answer, I think it, it's one of those, it's, um, you know, when, when you say, how can I help? And someone says, well, here's how you can help fundamentally change the way you do this. And your immediate reaction is, 
oh, I didn't, I didn't, I just wanted to help you. I didn't want to cheat. No, like there's that, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. And, you know, one of the things that sort of always sticks to me and man, man, listen, I, I love a good earworm, but you know, if I discovered that something I was playing was really problematic for someone, I get the let's reclaim it thing. And I find it funny that to your point, white people want to reclaim something. Um, but there's also thousands of songs out there that could be elevated. Um, you know, as a booker, uh, Jake and I have run this stage that has presented over 300 artists in the last 10 years. And as more, we've more become more, 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 more than 200, 200. more than 200. All right. Um, I only make the correction because we'll, we'll someone we'll else will get the correction. Um, uh, the, but you know, it's it's you know we were always trying to be mindful of, of having uh, new voices introduced in the space. That in in some ways was literally the reason behind starting it. But right. when we you know started that conversation, it was about well the same people in the root scene are getting featured over and over and over. Wouldn't it be great if we could get other people in uh, to sort of introduce them so they have a chance of at least being noticed enough to perhaps become one of those people. And that was sort of, I think, stage one. And then stage two, which at least for me was probably a couple of years down the line, uh, was looking at all of the booking we did and saying, ha, like 70, 75% of these are men. Um, why is that? And then the next is the majority of these are white. Now, you know, I know why that is because in the scene it is, but is it that way because of that? Or is it that way because I'm not doing my work and reaching out and finding the people that don't necessarily look like me mm -hmm. who are so good that they're better than two thirds of what I've already got. And, you know, shouldn't that be my focus? And, that's and like, I think, yes, that's, that's such a good idea. I, I feel like oftentimes I hear people who book events say like, what am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to go like, book some random woman even if she's not as good or whatever and i just i've always found it funny that that's the assumption when like i feel like you just said there's like this you work can you can women, do you know to just not. be like let me go listen to a lot of women and i'm gonna find one that's really good because there are a lot of really talented women out there what a lazy what a lazy answer and exactly. look i'm not saying that you know being a bookers it's hard especially for people that are booking you know year round but that's your job yeah <laughs> <laughs> like I don't get to complain <laughs> because a lot of servers went down this week. My job is to keep those servers running and to fix them when they break, um, <clears throat> you know, or a, my client, um, you know, their strategy changed and now I have to update their, their IT strategy. I don't get to complain about having to do my job. And so, yeah, they should have to go out and <laughs> if you're not booking enough yeah. women, go out and fix that. Yeah, just go like listen to what's out there. It's really not that hard. And I think it's again, we can wind up in this trap that I feel like is related to what you were talking about earlier, Ethan, of there being these really insular communities that sort of like eat themselves over and over again. Yeah. We rely on word of mouth to yes. get all of the artists to us instead of going out looking for people sometimes. And that means that we're recycling the same exact population demographic over and over sometimes the same specific people when if we just Absolutely. went out and did a little bit more legwork proactively we could find yeah. more and and strictly speaking just from just from uh, an economy perspective 
the the problem with that model on on top of the fact that it's just not sustainable is it you're eating yourself you you are not you know the the one of one of the early sort of things that Jake and I talked about when we started making music um, and I don't think you've I don't think you've actually even seen us as musicians which is fine um, but back 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 in our day back when uh, you know we were doing music and we started working on records one of the first things that I, I said early in the process was I don't want to go to a folk producer I you know we're we're vocal heavy uh, and we know one of the people who is, you know, one of the three top people in the acapella world that wins 35 awards a year for knowing voices better than anyone. Right. He'll, he can figure out instruments. That guy can make a human voice sound like a snare drum. I think he can handle a guitar, you know, and, and that really worked out for us. And because of that, I felt like we brought something different and that helped. And we also got him interested in what we were doing. And he ended up working with a number of people in the community. So there is, you know, and that, that is sort of a poor microcosmic example. But if you don't invite more people to be part of the creation and, and the sharing of this stuff, you're never, you're, you're never going to continue to exist. You know, you can only eat, you can only eat yourself so much. Exactly. Um, and it, even aside from like a representational perspective or the economics of it, it's just not fun to be in a scene that's that <laughs> stagnant all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like when we're, you know, my scene, of course, is like, especially like allergic to change, um, <laughs> like for, and there's good things about that, but there's bad things too. Um I mean, the funny thing for me has been like with with Spider Tales, especially I felt like I was inviting my producers back in. Right. Where these are like folks, uh, Jeff, Jeff Klaus and Judy Hyman of the Horseflies produced this this album. At, they're like one of my all time favorite bands and they're just incredible at arrangements and have great ears and understand all the tech tech aspects that I don't really get. So mm -hmm. it was just a really intuitive partnership to me. But these are folks who like had been out of the festival scene for decades at this point, uh, largely because the community like wasn't willing to make space for what they were doing. I don't know specifically. We haven't talked in detail about mm -hmm. why they stopped going, but after a certain point, you know, they were playing other gigs and stuff. And I feel like this record wouldn't sound anything at all like it does um, were it not for their influence. And... I just think that being able to draw even from within my limited pool of genres where I'm working with things that are pretty interrelated, right. To bring mm -hmm. like a bass player who's mostly known for bluegrass and a fiddle player who can do anything on the planet and a percussive dancer who's mostly known for Irish stuff. And like <laughs> also know that these people have the sensitivity as musicians and the yeah. know how to throw it all together when we're in the room that's what made that album so special is that I was yes. able to pull from so many different pools and we should all be able to do that and have it be seamless like that. Yes. I, and, and I apologize because I just got a little bit more praise. I have to heap on you <laughs> that, you know, in, in, in the folk scene and albeit trad is, is kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're parallel kissing cousins in a lot of ways, but in the folk scene, there are sort of the, the two uh, trope, 
record types. There is the, I recorded it on a four track on an 85 year old microphone found in the suitcase in a yard sale of my grandmother's hometown. And it sounds like poop, but it's straightforward and it's the song, but it, you know, the, the mythology of the classic method of the production is such that it's what drives some people. And then there are the people that go full on. Uh, I want 64 tracks of harmony behind me and at least 14 pads. I want this to be as big. And, you know, both of those have this tendency of losing the music. And I, I cannot say it more plainly. Your album is the music. It's just the music straight through. Had you not told me, who the artists that were joining you are, I, I would have thought it was all you, man. Like it was done <laughs> so well. And also you've in, in multiple interviews I've read, you've talked about your discomfort with your own voice. And on this podcast, the beginning of it, you, you threw a, uh, a reference to not quite being Rihanna Gibbs. You got a great voice. Oh, thank um, you. And, I appreciate and that. And I'm yeah. saying that Jake, Jake and I, are, we met, we're we're all acapella buddies. That's how we met in college. Like yep. nice. we, we know voices. So just like well, you I appreciate got it. that. <laughs> I'm 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 starting lessons. I'm like I'm committing to it at this point. Uh you know, I guess old time fiddle tunes don't pay that much. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, well, you know, it was like it's like we talked about, you always just keep trying to get better, right? Exactly. Well, and one of the things that I'm realizing now is because I like can't engage in the collaborative process that's always been a part of making music for me. You know, I can't just like wait till I'm hanging out with Tatiana again and playing shows to come up with another song. Uh, I'm having to like be really intentional. I'm having to do like the like Prince Trent Reznor thing of like being in my bedroom studio and playing all the parts by myself and like. <laughs> coming up with vocal arrangements more complicated than anything that I've done before and all of that. I'm like, I don't know. It's been, it's been super fun. It's been, it's been a good dive. And I think I've always been a little bit leery of like fusion projects that are labeled as such. Not that there's like no good music that can be described as fusion. I just feel like usually when people go after a project to make it fusion, rather than to like make it good and then it happens to be that sometimes yeah. it comes off a little bit strained um yeah. and i'm finding well, that it, like being it in forces in, yeah. instead of doing what i think it's supposed to do which is broaden sort of broaden the paints that you're able to paint with it it now limits to you to oh we're these two things exactly and like and like we better have, have to go together we yeah. better have tropes from both of them in everything and exactly. you know Whereas I think when you think of, at least historically, and I'll, I'll go with, sorry, the, the total 80s white guy example, when you think of really wonderful albums um, that had a sense of pulling from, you know, more than what it is, Paul Simon's Graceland is always one of the things that always comes to mind to me because it, um, you know, a lot of people associate with Lady Smith, Black Mombazo and the sounds of the, you know, the African chanting that was in there. But the other part of it that I don't think gets as much recognition is the fact that his rhythm section were the were the top jazz guys from the black community in New York City. Like he very specifically wanted that sound. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that to me, that is 
a perfect example of fusion. It was just getting people that were really good at what they do and putting them together and seeing what happens. Exactly. And I think for Spider Tales, that's been, at least my impression is, that's been part of why it got such a good reception from such a wide audience, is that the people who are on it are all skilled in two or three different genres and able to bring pieces of all of those to the album. So where I don't consider myself a bluegrass musician, I, I like cannot play bluegrass. I would never claim to. There are songs on there that are bluegrass songs, not because of anything that I'm doing. I'm just like singing or maybe playing one of the fiddle parts. But Tatiana is just like, okay, I'm bringing that here. Or Hazy is like, I'm bringing that here. Someone, <laughs> someone in the band is like, this is the time. Um, and it just, it, it welcomes more people in. It's a nice thing. And I've, I've been really intrigued recently because I feel like in Facebook groups that I'm a part of for old time music and stuff, there's been a lot of random conversation about rising Appalachia recently. Mm -hmm. Um, who were like, one of the first bands that I heard when I started my like approach to old time music. And that was like the first time I felt seen by a folk group, even though they were like all white people. As far as I mm -hmm. can tell, I was like, Oh, this actually like they're, they're being intentional about like bringing in our sounds instead of what I now perceive a lot of old time musicians to do, which is to be like, yeah, if you like, dig really deep into this specific polyrhythmic bowing pattern from X time through of June Apple by Tommy Durrell. There's an African beat in there. And like, think that's going to be enough. Um, yeah. That bringing in different influences is also part of bringing in different people. Um, and there is a place for the rigid traditionalism, but there also needs to be a place for growth. And of course there's a respectful way to do that. Um, and it means bringing in folks who are, authentically parts of traditions rather than just going in and mining pieces of the music uh but it can be done and i think it must be done i agree um now i am really bad at transitions so i'm just going to say <laughs> that and say we're at the part where i would love to hear you play if you're game for playing for us totally uh, and we know we've got some people that have asked a couple of questions. We're going to hold those questions until after the musical part, portion of our evening. Um, but we will get to your questions. And thank <laughs> you for the questions. A little bit. Yes, thank you. All right. I'm going to do my little setup change here. All good. Well, well, while Jake's doing that, um, I will say uh, Blues Cafe BM, which I'm assuming is our good friend Bruce down in Connecticut. Uh, how do you balance the goal of reaching out to widen the pool of talent you're booking to what your market-based patrons are expecting. Um, uh, Vance Gilbert gave a keynote address at NERFA, um, at, at the Northeast Regional Folk Alliance about three years ago. Um, and I, I love what he said, and I'm going to badly uh, try to remember it. Challenge them, give them something other than what they're expecting but something that you yourself have heard and said, wow, that's really something. Because to, I think, uh, Jake, Jake Blunt's point uh, and, and Jake Bush and my point um, tonight, if you keep looking for things that you're used to seeing, you're going to keep finding things that you're used to seeing. It's not until you allow yourself to see something other than what you are, you are expecting that you can be someone that can bring that new thing to someone else. And it's, um, it's, it's 
sort of circular. You know, you if you keep mm -hmm. booking the same artist, you're going to keep bringing in the same patrons. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it, it it's that whole broadening the tent conversation that we keep going back to, and people are probably sick of hearing us talk about it, but that's kind of the point of the podcast. <clears throat> uh, so buckle up. Um, <laughs> you know, in booking the lounge stage or, you know, the coffee houses that we're involved in or whatever, um, you know, it is a a constant effort and that's where we use openers and things like that we've talked about you know having the black feathers open for vance gilbert and vance gilbert's you know fans in general might not have you know gravitated towards the black feathers who are this phenomenal husband and wife duo uh, out of the uk um but might not have otherwise found them um <clears throat> and so we got to sneak in the black feathers opening for vance gilbert and the audience lost their mind and so that's sort of one of the tricky and sneaky ways um is bring it you know bring people in for the headliner um and then sneak an opener in that's that's just going to knock their socks off um and also expand who your you know who your who your fan base is and that's look we it's so much easier said than done um but it's a you know i think it's a noble goal and the it, it serves your your audience and it serves the the music and the the artists as well i think all right um, I, I hope, uh, Bruce, I believe that was you. I, I hope that answered the question. We're happy to follow up on that if you want to uh, put in a follow-up question. But and right now, your question up above. We'll yep. get to your question after, we promise. And uh, uh, But right now, I really want to hear Jake Blunt play for us. So we're going we're gonna to switch over to him and, and let him take it. Thank you.
a little lead belly where did you sleep last night I'm gonna do a quick little retuning here for anyone here who's not familiar with old-time music we often use different tunings for different keys and different songs I'm jumping in real quick Jake just to share <laughs> no you can't hear me because you have your headphones on it's fine don't worry about it um, <laughs> I was jumping in really quickly just to say, I am sure um, I'm not the only one that you start playing that song and immediately my head went to 1993, the Nirvana Unplugged record. I'm like, ah, he's playing Cobain. It's Lid Billy, I know. But anyway, so, love it. Just wanted to jump in. It was a great job, too. Thank you. Uh, keep going. Keep going. Okay, will do. <laughs> Let that settle. 
It's a little bit of roustabout from Dink Roberts. That was an old song called Roustabout from a guy named Dink Roberts, a black banjo player who lived in Haw River, North Carolina. to the wilderness 
It's one of those things I, I keep trying to jump in quicker so you actually get applause because I feel like <laughs> as performers, that's the thing we miss most in this COVID so world. This, this, it is, isn't it? But uh, what we can do is we can do this. Oh. And this. Oh, man, y'all are nice. <laughs> I'm glad to be playing. I feel like I wind up in this like weird cycle where every few days it's like been too long since I've had a streaming show and I start going into the like no performances depression thing and then I like have what I have to get my shit together for and then it's a great time and I feel better. So thank you for supplying that opportunity. <laughs> it was our pleasure, man. As, as I said, you were, I, I mean, we talked well, a month and a half ago. Was that yeah, sort of like when we, we finalized this and, and you were about to take off up to, was it Casco? Casco yeah. Bay? Yeah. Nice up in Maine, which is I'm going again this week. <laughs> ah envy. Envy yeah. man. I uh I think I told you I uh my family has a place on an island in Miscongas, which is two bays north, I think, of Casco. Gotcha. So Casco, Booth Bay, Miscongas. Anyway. Um but yeah. Just dogs, Ethan. They're all named after bays. Just <laughs> Casco was all, one of the dogs. Yep. All of my dogs are named after that's adorable yeah <laughs> yeah we're uh we're that kind of family um but uh yeah no i, I man I, I thank you so much for playing for us you really i i love what you're doing and i i even popped up the uh the link to your your record up there to be stro scrolling through for the last uh, two songs to make sure that hopefully we can get some sales in there for you because it's it's really just oh, it's you. a spectacular record yeah. thanks um, uh, and, Spotify's uh, a great way to spread music, but it's not a great way to get artists paid. So if you're listening real. out there, feel free to check them out on Spotify. And when you realize how awesome it is, then go buy the record. Thank you. You know, the the funny thing is, I tend to work in reverse, where I will buy the record and then I will just listen on Spotify from that point forward. Because at that point, I might as well make you the quarter of a cent per exactly. four hundred listens. I do the same um, thing. Only I have title instead of Spotify. And pays us ah. three times as much and costs Ooh. the same amount. All right, so. I will look into that. 
So three uh, thousandth of a cent. Is, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's still not great. It's, but you know, I'm thinking if I can just convince everyone I know to make the switch eventually, you know, it'll come out to a couple bucks. <laughs> that you know, and and the, so this is this is sort of a, a different conversation, and not sort of the initial one that that I was going to have with you. We we're going to jump into Christine's question in just a second, but uh, on on a broad scale, one of sort of the one of the questions that Jake and I have been trying to delve into in this particular podcast and in in doing this work is, you know, th there's the cultural side of the root scene, as you know, we've discussed and sort of the aversion to change. But there is also this deep seated technological side of the root scene and aversion to change. And I know that there are a bunch of, of folkies out there with hundreds of cassette tapes and eight tracks and, and well, records are cool now. So the records, you know, still cool, but um, there is that sort of belief that the changing sort of systems will either pass them by or they'll be able to sort of outsmart it over time. Um, and, you know, I'm of the mindset that there are people making a living on Spotify and I don't just mean the, uh, the, the, um, the Cardi B's Taylor, Taylor the yeah, the Cardi yeah. B, the Taylor Swifts, you know, the, uh, there are people that have found a way to sort of game that system. It's one of the reasons we're actually on Twitch. Uh, we fully admit that Twitch doesn't have the broad visibility of Facebook. And it's a platform that was built for video gamers, not mm -hmm. for musicians. But in two months, we have hit the ratios we need to monetize. And we're, we've got 25 subscriptions. So we're actually making money off our show. We couldn't do that on Facebook. There's yeah. literally no way to do that on Facebook. It's just every week asking people to send us money. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and, and you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that if that's the method you're going to go with. But oh, no. I, yeah, I, I, and I wasn't suggesting that that was what you were trying to get across, Jake. Um, but at the same point, um, there are these passive income systems out there that I feel like our community in particular has just walked away from because there's an initial investment of time and energy mm -hmm. that most folks sort of see is, is too much. Yeah. Facebook um, will never monetize, but there are people that literally make good livings on YouTube. Um, there, there are absurd Norwegian video gamers making uh, King's Ransom playing video games. Uh, I don't know how the hell that happened, but in any case, um, yeah, I'm 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 always sort of interested in the systems and how people are finding ways to make them work for them. So, to your to your point, maybe Spotify isn't worth the investment. We should be looking at what title? Yeah, T I D A L. It's black owned, artist owned, Ooh. specifically Jay Z owned. Um, but <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it, it has a high fidelity listening option, which costs a little bit more money, but the basic is the same as Spotify and it pays better. So, so it's, I've been it's, telling uh, everybody to make the jump if they can. <laughs> and it's always, always good to help someone as down on his luck as Jay-Z. So I'm, you know, I'm down. <laughs> hey, he's out here paying bail for people and everything. I'm like, if I have to give he's... any rich person my money, it's going to be him. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that I, I agree with you. And that, you know, one of the hard things with technology 
is finding ways to make the easiest way to get something done also the ethical way to get something done. So yeah. to be able to do that uh, is is a gift. Um, to that point, Christine asked this wonderful question a long time ago, and it's for you. So I'm going to say uh, she basically said she'd love to hear your thoughts specifically about ways to help audience really understand what they're listening to beyond the tune, the catchy tune, the stories behind it. I think it's all about the way that you introduce a tune personally, um, even if you introduce it after the fact. Um, for me, one of the things that I've been consistently complimented on after my shows is that I kind of whittle the significance of whatever I'm playing down to like two to five sentences. And before the song, I'll just say a thing that is not long, but we'll say like where it came from, maybe a little bit about the source musician since I'm playing traditional stuff and a little bit about why I decided to play it um, where applicable. And sometimes it winds up a little bit longer, right? If I'm going to play John Henry, not only will I talk about Sid Hemphill and the fact that like every living person ever has played John Henry, um, slight hyperbole, um, I'm going to talk not about by, not by much though. Not, yeah, it's true. Not, I think yeah, it is like, the most recorded American folk song in history. But um, I, it, we sang at a camp when I was 12, 13, 14. There you go. So I, I always remember. talk about that, but I'm also going to talk about, right, like prison slave labor and the fact that that still exists in this country, that John Henry is not like a historical narrative. It's something that like happens to people all the time right now. Um, and that we have the opportunity to act on when I'm playing the song beyond this wall, um, which Judy Hyman wrote, it's one of the ones on my record. I will talk about the wall, um, and sort of connect it to the backstory of that tune. So there, there are ways I think to not do the like stereotypical trad folky thing of like, I'm going to tell you a 15 minute story and then play you a two minute tune, but also to make sure that We've people understand that. yeah <laughs> but also make sure people understand why you're playing it and where it comes from because it's also an important part of the conversation mm -hmm. yeah and uh, you know the the nice thing i think about sort of the roots uh folks in general is you know th there's a bit of challenge in telling people not to do something but uh, I think in general teaching people more about the history of what they're listening to is so central to the very personality of sort of the roots uh, audience in general like they want to know there there is this hunger to understand uh lyrics and you know I, you, you bring up tracy chapman which is the perfect example of that uh late 70s through 80s kickoff specifically in the boston area of what really is its own form of singer songwriterism i mean you go you go before that and you're talking james taylor Yep. And you're talking Cat Stevens, and that's its own very specific genre and its own very specific era. You're talking 80s and beyond. You're talking sort of the the early seeds that became the Lilith Fair. You're talking the early ideas that sort of went into acoustic rock in the early 90s and, and sort of everything that came from that. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, it's it's neat to see the history passed down in, in the various subdivisions mm -hmm. and, and people really gravitate to it. Um, or at least I've always found that way. Yeah. Uh, as, as, uh, as a songwriter, the best question you can get asked after a show is I want to know exactly what you meant when you, you know, like there's, there's that mm -hmm. 
I need to understand what were you eating the morning you wrote this, you know, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the story behind it, that so many artists, uh, it's, it's part of their act to tell the story behind the song. Like that's, you know, how many people in the folk scene just get on stage, play 10 songs and get off stage. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, the, the performance art form is really its own thing. How does that and, and, and help me out because I I know the bluegrass scene a little. The trad scene is still like I know trad people. I don't spend a lot of time in their specific circle. I spend yeah, it's time... pretty impenetrable. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna pretend that it's that it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's know. like how. Um, and it's funny because, again, this is just another Ethan crazy conspiracy theory. But I've also found, you know, when Jake and I started touring, um, there's sort of that that weird thing as you start touring where you open up regions. And sometimes you're really lucky and you open up regions by the things that are now 25 miles further, that are now 50 miles further. Other times you open up regions that are 500 miles away. Yep. And, and you you've have got to find stuff. <laughs> you, got, you got to bridge the gap. And and in my mind, one of the most impenetrable. So like in our heyday, Pesky could play Eastern Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts, Northern Connecticut, Southern Connecticut, New York, you know, north of the city, Hastings on Hudson, the city, not really, and Southern into Northern Jersey, down to Philadelphia and sort of all of that. And we had upstate New York, but that was never on the way. Upstate New York yeah. was... Okay, New York. Yeah. yeah, we actually did one where we drove from New oh, Jersey God. to upstate New York, played a gig, stayed up there, came back, played another gig down in New Jersey, and then drove home. We drove by the same mall three times in two days. I almost <laughs> drove us off the road. Oh my gosh, was it the Crossgates Mall? So like the Albany Mall? No, but I know that mall very, <laughs> I grew up in upstate New York. I know that mall very well. Where'd you no, grow up? It's um Northern Jersey. Somewhere gotcha. in New Jersey, yeah. <laughs> Jake, uh, Lake George area is where you grew up? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so all of that being said, that's my long way of saying, you live in Rhode Island, which I have found to be the most impenetrable. Like, Rhode they Island... Like got it taken care of. It's really funny. I didn't realize until I moved here that there are, like, so many folk and trad musicians who are here so they just like hire each other for stuff yep um it's pretty funny i feel like you wouldn't know unless you were here because no one who lives in rhode island ever goes anywhere other than rhode island <laughs> unless it's like oh i gotta go to target that's in massachusetts <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> is it rhode island and long island because i feel like long island's the same way like everybody plays there but you don't leave i wouldn't know i never tried to go to long island <laughs> 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 you know the, the funny the funny thing for that is we found you know long island was one of those weird places that embraced us early uh, we were lucky enough that we've, we've got some great musician friends that live down there and they they basically were like yeah these guys you're going to pay attention to them and you know we've we've had a, a, a fantastic time playing there uh rhode island was always this impenetrable every time we tried to go down they're like no nope, secret password you don't know the handshake not allowed in yeah this is a state that really like has a very strong community feel um mm -hmm. 
which I feel like could make it hard to jump into. I got lucky in that two of my dear friends and my like neighbors, they have like four blocks from me, are this band called the Vox Hunters that mm-hmm. do like traditional Rhode Island music. That's their thing. So well, I cool. like walked in knowing exactly the people I should know, and they're just the best <laughs> about knowing everyone in the state and introducing you to all of them. So it's been like a pretty fun, friendly acclimation process for me as much as it can be when I like can't go out and do anything. Um, <laughs> sorry for dissing Long Island, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's been a weird time to move. Uh, but I, I feel like this, this state has been a really comfortable place to be as much as anywhere is throughout the pandemic and everything else. I feel like people have actually been looking out for one another. Um, that's great. great. And I don't feel the same, you know, stress or fear that I think a lot of my friends who are still in New York city or, uh, even Boston are feeling, uh, it, I can go outside and feel okay. And it's, I feel really fortunate to be here and to have a governor who's like on top of it. I love Gina. (laughs) (laughs) She's done a fantastic job. I mean, I'll I'll be honest. uh, Baker, I I think Baker's mostly done a pretty superb job in in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. considering we are sort of a hub of, I mean, the the city of, I can't remember the, and, and like this might be a slightly exaggerated number, but it's actually close. There was, this stat that was thrown on for years that 40% of the population of Boston proper is college student, mm-hmm. meaning 40% of the population is essentially itinerant. Yeah. They are there to do their thing and leave. And when they come back, a fourth of them are brand new. Yeah. Um, and, and for a city with millions of, you know, million of people um, that, you know, it's not a huge surprise why we were hit as as quickly and and as deeply as we were absolutely that being that being said i live an hour north in the middle of absolutely nowhere and i'm not going down into the city but yeah well you know we got lucky in that you know if you're driving from new york to boston you drive past providence you don't drive through um it goes up through connecticut so i i feel like we got spared just because of the interstate infrastructure You're not um, you're not between two places. Exactly. You have to be going here on purpose. Right. And like not that many people do that. So um, <laughs> just I you know, I love this I love this it's, state, it's but it's new, not like, like it's not on the way somewhere. You just you know? came up with a new like tourism motto for Rhode Island. <laughs> Rhode Island, you have to mean to come here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta want it. That's it. Well, That's our next shirt. We're we're doing we're doing oh a Jake gosh. Blunt t shirt with Rhode Island, you gotta want it. That's perfect. I'm, perfect. I'm gonna do it. I'm doing yeah. it. <laughs> and now you know we now we get our spikes because everyone came for the beaches. But yes. uh, you know yeah. that's that's just how it is. I'm not going to the beach and it's gonna be fine. Or I'm gonna mm-hmm. go to Maine and go to the beach there. <laughs> right there you go. Yeah, I'm gonna get tested. Well, I'm gonna quarantine. But oh, it's all good. I I, I live uh, three miles from the beach. I'm I, I'm like nice. I have a local and and it's. Uh, I live in Newburyport, Newbury, um, uh, which is nice that it's we don't have the giant beach that Salisbury has or that you know Maine, Southern Maine has. But uh, it is funny as the different beaches have started shutting down in Massachusetts. We were sort of one of the last ones, and we did it only after enough of the other locals ones did. Where all of a sudden our beach that usually you know it, it's populated, but all of a sudden it was like 
everyone shoulder to shoulder and they're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to shut this down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, I'm glad you are doing well uh, through all this. I, uh, I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight and Thanks have this conversation. I hope, I hope uh, uh, you didn't, uh, have to internally roll your eyes at, at too many, uh, you know, no. middle-aged white guy trying to find the best way to say things <laughs> no. and not annoy people. Not uh, but, you know, We're it's painfully it, aware of our middle-aged whiteness. We are. <laughs> I feel like you're aging yourselves painful. up right now. I feel like you're not middle-aged yet. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know the specifics, but. 43, but. Yeah, I'm a little younger, well, especially but... as as far as folk music goes, you know. <laughs> no, actually, of course, we're the we're the young guys in the room. Exactly, the we're the same. We're the same age in folk music years. That's, that's very yeah, true. It, it it's funny. I, I, I appreciate that a lot. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been working uh, administratively on the Northeast Regional Folk Alliance for for years now, but I started, and I think I was, I think. I was like 34, 35 when I started working on the programming committee. Mm -hmm. And I just remember they kept referring to me as the kid. And, and like for the first year, I don't think I said anything, but like somewhere in the middle of the second year, I was like, you guys are aware in literally any other musical genre. I'm not only not the kid, I'm probably dead. Like, <laughs> this is... <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's the joy, honestly, it's, it's the joy of this scene in, in that you can have these 40, 50 year careers, mm -hmm. uh, and, and have that thing. And, you know, when we had, um, recently we had our podcast with Vance Gilbert, who I don't know if you know Vance or how well, you know, Vance, if you do, um, he's one of our, my favorite people in the world. I don't want to speak for Jake, but I, I love this guy to death. Um, uh, and he, is just one of those people that uh, has, he's been around for 35, 40 years in the scene. He sort of started in the jazz um, clubs, if I remember correctly, in Philly before he moved to Boston and sort of transitioned That's into right. singer-songwriter stuff in the mid-80s, sort of came up with the Ellis Pauls and um, sort of right after the Cheryl Wheelers and, and sort of those folks dating all the, the folk stuff. But um, what what I adore about him is he's had a 35 plus year career of doing exactly what the heck he wants. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't, there's no part of like his records are whatever record he wanted to put out. And, and I adore him for it. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we talk about the things that we want to change and things that we want to improve in the scene, uh, I try to make sure that we don't lose track of the fact that there are so many wonderful things within it. Yes. And the reason we want to save it is because of that. Yes. So anyway, totally. get off my uh, stool. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thank you so much for joining us, Jake. Um, we're, we'll, we'll let you go, but hang around because when we end the show, this is the worst kept secret. When we end the show, uh, we actually invite you back on that we just shoot the shit. And that never actually makes it to the YouTube channel. It's just us sitting here uh, hanging out and talking. Um, so it's a chance for the people in here that have, you know, more 
questions that we wouldn't do an official way to ask stuff. Uh, so if you want to stick around, that'd be great. Jake and I will close down about five minutes and then we'll bring right. you back in. All right. Cool. Thanks for having All me. Right. Thanks so much, Jake. Really appreciate it. Jake Blunt, uh, we're going to put his uh, website back up there for everyone to see. Please go visit it. Please uh, buy, listen to his new record, Spider uh, Stories. So good. So, so, so good. Spider Tales. Damn it. I, uh, see, it was, uh, it was eventually. It was eventually. I got three right at the oh, beginning. I knew by the end. Anyway. Okay. Jake, thank you so much. Talk to you in a minute. <laughs> Oh, I, again, I cut people off uh, every time. Um, thank you all for for being here. I uh, know we we know uh, the majority of you that are still here. Um, thank you, especially for you, the folks that have been here week after week. Cultural infidel, you've been here since the beginning. Uh, you actually, you and Gary Oki were the two that I was concerned when we had to cancel last week. I was like, what will they do? Um, but uh, yeah, and we have to tell them personally because yeah. we know they're here every week. Christine Doman Wells also is a two month subscriber on Twitch. We need to yeah. give her a shout out. Yeah, but she now has all of I think that means she gets fans. Um now that, she can yeah. she can vance. Um but yeah, I, I'm I'm so grateful for, for you guys to be part of this. Um sort of we've got we've got some new new things to sort of nice. I'm glad you got I'm glad you got the mug. Um uh, send me a picture. Do me a favor. Please tag me when you get it, because uh, I I still every morning I make coffee and I pour in it, and I even got that weird song in the commercial going through my head. I'm like da 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 da. Oh. <laughs> uh, but I um, I want to thank you guys, uh, and and part of that thanks is we're going to share with you. We have two more episodes for the first season, and we finalized the guests, and I couldn't be happier. I don't think either of us could be happier with who they are. No, this um, is. This is this is going to be fun. Um, uh, so we will. Uh, do we break it now? Do we just tell them, or do we end the show and tell them afterwards? So no, let's, that, uh, okay. let's tell them now. They've stuck with us. They've listened to us talk for two hours. We can at least give them a little something. We, we owe you that. Um, next week we are going to have the spectacular Abby Gardner, um, and why am I blanking on Craig's last name? And we Craig can, Aiken, uh, Craig Aiken um, on. Uh, <laughs> See. Damn it. I, you know, I did so well at the beginning. Uh, and now, anyway, um, uh, <laughs> we've known Abby for years. She's one of the people that sort of helped break us when we got into music. Um, she is just a dear, wonderful person. A lot of people know her from her work with Red and Molly, um, but she's a spectacular solo artist and she's got such an interesting background. I believe she's got a black belt in karate. She was a physical therapist. Oh, yeah. That, that's going into the show notes right now. Um, so uh, we're really excited for that. We love them both. Uh, and, and to be able to have a conversation about how they're dealing with all this COVID stuff and, and treading into this new digital world and what that's meant for them. And for someone like Craig, who's really made a living as a side musician, hard to make a <laughs> living as a side musician when no one is playing and or if they are, they're doing it in their living room. Um, so, you know, that will be a fun conversation and the season finale, the, the episode that I'm, I'm super jazzed and we've been trying to make this work literally from week three is we have, uh, two thirds of the final round of the lounge stage. We have Heather May and Chris Matthews joining us. And I love, 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 everything that the two of them have done, um, for pride month for everything. They're just, they're just awesome people. And 
they're they're fun people to have conversations with. So I'm super super excited about that, and we're already well on our way to booking season two. We haven't sort of finalized when we're going to start that, um, but uh, some really wonderful names, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So we're, we're going to take a month, uh, probably about a month off, you know, yep. four to six weeks off, and so yep. we'll get rolling back in uh, October or something like that. Yep. Um. Uh, the other thing we can share is I think uh, that we haven't finalized the dates. Jake and I have sort of agreed that moving forward, we're going to be doing uh, a monthly uh, concert and it will be a sort of a tri-bill. It'll be a, a in-the-round <coughs> concert, um, about a two-hour show, and, and we'll be looking again to keep introducing some spectacular artists and hopefully get some of uh, the guests that we haven't been able to feature as much as, like, say, maybe get Jake back and have him do something. Um, and uh, I think every season of the show, uh, we are going to do our own lounge stage. We're going to essentially do a six-hour festival. Yeah. Um, and we haven't finalized exactly how we're going to do that. If we're going to keep doing it on Twitch or if we're going to move to a paid system. I don't know. But for the time being, uh, we'd love to hear from you and sort of what your thoughts are and what you want. Um, because we're super – yeah, it, exactly, Christine. Um, we're going to be running both the shows and the eventual festival same way in the round. Uh, in our mind, and one of the things that we love about Jake and his experience um, is he comes from the trad world where everything is done collectively to some degree. You play, but you play with other people. To me, that that's the heart of music, and that's the heart of really wonderful – um, particularly in moments like this, not to echo my own commercial, but particularly in, in, in times when connection is feeling hard, being able to present something in that way feels meaningful to us. So that, that's going to be our, our method of moving forward. Um, we also upgraded. I'm not sure if you noticed. We are now in HD for the first time. So you get to see... Help. Prettier, so you, well, uh, I'm not sure. Prettier, you get to see more details. I, yeah, I don't know if we're doing anybody any favors. The, the of, gray is. Yeah. I, I'm looking at myself a lot in this, being like, man, it's starting to come in. Damn oh, it. I. Oh, you've been that way since puberty. Okay. Eighteen. <laughs> great, 18 you know. <clears throat> anyway, um, other than that, uh, just again, thank you guys. It means so much to have you. Um, we love you. Um, have a good week. Well, so we'll see we'll, you. We'll, yeah, next week, Sunday, 8 p.m., twitch.tv slash tribal mischief or facebook.com slash tribal mischief productions. Um, we forget to hype our things. Realize, you know, <clears throat> this is going to go up on YouTube and people are not going to know that it was on Twitch. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, twitch.tv slash tribal mischief next Sunday, 8 o'clock. Um, Check us out on Facebook. You can see old episodes of the podcast on YouTube. If you search for Tribal Mischief, we don't have enough subscribers yet to get our own uh, URL. And that's where all of you come in. Um, we're 56. So please, and if you look directly below us on the screen that we're currently on, sorry to cut you off. Uh, if you look directly below us, there is now a link to our uh, our YouTube. It's below something. Um, there's a drink link directly to our YouTube channel. So if you want to head over there and... Uh, Subscribe. It costs nothing. Um, if you uh, but to your really podcasts, you can find us on your favorite uh, podcast applications. Just search for Tribal Mischief Podcast. Yes. Um, and the thing that I meant to say before we invited Jake on, but I couldn't remember, for the folks that are wondering why you can't find the Vance Gilbert podcast uh, on YouTube yet, even though it's from three or four weeks ago, 
Uh, it's because for whatever reason, the download version that we got, the audio and the video doesn't sync at all. So I am manually going in for two hours and resyncing every, you know, 45 seconds. And it's driving me insane, but I will do it and it will hopefully be up this week. Because well, um, it's Vance and, and we do yeah. the end of it. I actually, I got a text from him uh, basically saying, was I too hard on you guys? Is that's why you're oh. not putting it up? I'm like, no, no, no. It's absolutely right. not that. It's not that. Not it. um, yeah. So anyway, thank you guys. Right. Jake, anything else? No, I think that's it. He's Jake Bush. He's Jake Bush on accordion. He's Ethan Baird on the saw and the, what other instruments have you picked up? Didn't you, well, you got the banjo behind you. I put the banjo behind me specifically uh, to honor Jake. Uh, that being said, the banjo was a gift from my one of my oldest friends and my parents and my ex-wife about seven years ago because I really wanted to learn the banjo. And then I realized how very different from guitar it is. And it just looks nice now. It's hard. Um, it's hard. I feel dumb. But in any case, thanks, right. everyone, for being Thank here. Everyone. Have a wonderful night. Um, Have a great week. We'll, we'll see you next week. See you next Sunday. Community. It allows us to gather and revel in what we share. Times like this, we miss it. There is a way to continue the conversation and the collaboration. Tribal Mystery. Join us every week as we celebrate the people doing exceptional work and discuss the challenges facing We're all grown together. Welcome back, Jake. <laughs> Crap. It's, <I'm> <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's so just so you know, we never put this part up. This is just sort of us shooting the shit and, and some catching up. So that being said, uh, I two things I wanted to share with you that uh, I I didn't want to do in a way that was archived. Uh, one of which is a, we really would love to have you um, both in the next uh, show, three person show that we run, which will probably be uh, early September would be my guess. Um, we run on Thursday nights and, and probably also in the next festival. And we, we don't know yet when, when that's going to be, but we'd, we'd really love to get you involved if you'd be gay. Yeah, uh, totally. And uh, it, it actually paid this time. So, you know, you get to actually get you some money, which makes me feel good. Um, I just tossed something up in the, uh, in the chat for you guys. Um, Jake, I don't know if you can see the, the private chat. Yeah. Okay. Um, this was awesome. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, I'm going to leave you guys to it. Oh, good. <clears throat> have a good night, um, Jake. We'll catch up soon. All right. Have a good night, y'all. All right. Catch you. Um. And the, the other thing I wanted to let you know is, so NERFA is doing a, uh, a virtual conference. We haven't really announced anything because it was really important to the board and everyone involved that whatever we told people that we would do would actually be able to do. And a lot of people were like, oh, we're going to go entirely virtual. And they never did. And I just, I didn't want us to be that. Um, but, you know, in, in the changeover, what we're looking to do, what we're hoping to do is not really try to replicate the live conference, but rather find the best ways to bring um, sort of more meaningful, both conversations and sort of content into it. So our panels are mostly gonna be focused on trying to figure out this live streaming thing, because mm -hmm. so many of us are trying to figure out this live streaming thing. Um, 
but we also decided that we're instead of just having one keynote speaker we're going to look at having uh three to four speakers and your name came up as one of the people that uh we wanted to see if you'd be up for doing a 15-minute address for to the entire community absolutely thank you for uh, asking yeah i'm honored <laughs> i well it was you know honestly it's kind of a no-brainer um you you're you're very like I love everything you're doing specifically in sort of looking at the trad side of things and, and really sort of getting to the heart and, and um, just honestly approaching it. It's, it's really, uh, it's, it's wonderful. And it's wonderful to see someone doing that. That is, I'd say our age, but you're younger than me yeah. <laughs> like in, in folk years, technically, but no, yes. I mean, you are. Um, and to have someone your age that's that's doing that uh, at your level, I think I'd, I'd really just I'd love to hear what you have to say. So this is this is your early warning that you've got about three months to come up with 15 minutes of material. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. So we got that going on. Other than that, uh, I got nothing. How did this work? Did this was this sort of like a good experience overall, or oh, totally. any, any sort of notes for us? Yeah, no, I I had a good time. Uh, I'm this is like my I think my third time using Streamyard, so it's a little bit different, but I I like it more than Zoom, so I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so what we love about it is it's straightforward and simple, and everyone that we've got like we, we uh, I'm not sure if you caught any you probably didn't catch the lounge stage, but we presented 15 artists over six hours, mm -hmm. you know, five hours, um, and ran it in the round. No one had trouble. We had one person, Annie Sumi. Do you know Annie? That name is really... Oh, yes. I met her at Nerfa. I think she yep. was supposed to be my mentor or something. And then she I just, is, like, I didn't really follow up on it. She is <laughs> an absolute, absolute sweetheart. But she lives in the middle of fuck all nowhere, Canada. Like, literally, she was using a cell phone. And you could see the log cabin with the fireplace behind her in completely not an ambience kind of way in a it's cold up here in august and a fire is necessary you know yeah um, and she was the only one we could hear her perfectly but uh her video jumped around a bit so it, it feels like the overall um uh commitment or the overall just sort of network need here is much more forgiving which we found works with a lot of artists and yeah, um, there are artists like you that have figured out how to use a Myrtle um, through yeah. an interface, and you know that makes a difference. You know, yeah, I've tried to I've tried to figure out the upgrading process. It's definitely been you know approaching this without money saved up to make that big jump was uh was difficult. So, but I'm yeah, like, that... hey, I, I need to get a better camera. What camera are you using? You're like super <laughs> sharp right now. Well, yeah, I'm I'm using a um, so. Go the other way. Whoa, it's all good. I'm oh, no hit the wrong thing. <laughs> Gandalf. <laughs> so I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is uh, this is a. Let me. I can actually show it to you because I will grab. This is the regular Whoa. webcam. This is the regular webcam. Yeah. 
Ah, I was wondering if it was like a DSLR situation. Yeah, it's uh, Sony A7 III, awesome. uh, which which is a great camera, and uh, I, I like it particularly because I can uh, aim it so you can't see the mess of the room that is that side of it. Oh yeah, that's that. This so is uh, the I do this corner of the apartment. This is what I love is most musicians have figured out the way to do that is like, I'll clean this part of the room. Exactly. And then there are other musicians like God bless them bands. We did, we did the, uh, the, uh, the podcast with him and he had like clothing hanging on the door head. Like just, it, it looked like the entire place was kind of exploded and he sort of took pride in it. He was like, Oh yeah, no, that's my shirt from yesterday's run. You know, I definitely have like, <laughs> stopped dressing up for them i tried to like still dress up for live streams for the first like five or so and then i was like this is just ridiculous like everyone knows i'm sitting on my own couch in an empty apartment right now this is so sad <laughs> so i'm like trying to find the middle ground of like it's not too casual but i don't look like i'm trying for nobody <laughs> yep. It's uh, it's the entire, uh, you know, I'll wear a nice shirt, but I'm not sure pants, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I'm like, I'm aiming. My goal is to do like a little XY uh, stereo mic setup and get a nice mm -hmm. camera in the coming months so that I can like up the quality. It needs, yeah, to, it needs to be sharp. <laughs> as far as, as far as cameras go, uh, I, you know, if you have any questions or if you're trying to figure any stuff out, like my, my background is AV. I, I do. A lot oh, of cool. There. I'll totally um, ask so, you some questions. Yeah. If I can be of use, I would be happy to help. Well, um, thank you. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's just, it's such a different world and finding the way to make it feel interactive um, uh, where you can pull in people that are, are, are part of things like, Hey, Michael, I'm glad you're still listening. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, he's, he's the president of Nerf and I didn't warn him that I was going to essentially publicly ask you to be a speaker, but I, I, I responded. I'm like, like, I kind of announced it in, in the sense that five people got to hear it. Cause you know, even though people know we, we stick around, we shoot the shit afterwards, most people log off. Um, but yeah, it's, um, the, the way that we've run the shows, we keep all three artists in the round on the screen at the same time. Um, so we'll change the perspective so that the one that's playing looks like this oh. and the other two are over on the side, which works pretty well. And then, you know, when it gets, when they're done, you pull it back to this and they can all interact and sort of like, man, I really like that. But you can also have it so the other two acts can literally clap for each other, which, gotcha. I mean, it's small, but it, it makes a difference oh, like totally. it, in, in its own, like to get some amount of feedback and, and not just as a performer, it makes a difference, but like the audience watching, they're like, oh, this is, you know, it feels more like that experience, I feel. Oh. Yeah, I definitely had to do, and have to do, I chose to do some shows early on that were like hosted on Zoom and the ones where they like had people turn on their cameras and I could like go into the gallery view were so much easier as I was learning to make the transition just because I could yeah. still see someone watching. Yeah. Um, and especially because it was like the dark first days of this when no one knew how to handle it and we were all freaking out. It was like, oh, my sister and her dog are watching. Like, this is yeah. this is lovely. Um, very Wild West kind of exactly. way of dealing was, with it. Dude, March was the weirdest month 
ever ever I, <laughs> and 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 i think the weirdest part of it to me was how different it was for every individual yeah so like and and i realized i'm in a very different boat than the rest of the music scene because like jake we both work in technology but yeah. i i work for a two hundred thousand person company and my job in that company was basically teaching people how to work remotely Great. So when all of a sudden everyone else didn't have a job to go to, I was doing like 20 hour a day. My God, God bless my girlfriend, Jen. You know, she literally would slide food into me in the middle of the day and I'd be on, I'd be on zoom meeting 14. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I hope you got some overtime for that. That's, that's wild. I, I did that. That month was a good month on the bank account. Um, that's good. That's good. But yeah, it's it's so it's just so interesting the different experiences that everyone seems to be having through this and yeah. you know, how people are finding connection. Um, and yeah, what yeah. I love, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Um, what I love is people like you who like I had I really and I I don't even know if I made an impression on you at Nerfa. When, yeah, totally. Is actually you to have can a I tell you a funny for, yeah. story about that conversation was I like. I had I was having a bunch of trouble sleeping on that tour for some reason, and I like went to the, the like Bed Bath and Beyond next door and got like a little face mask thing, but yeah. I got like a weighted face mask because that was the only thing that they had. So I like went and put this thing on. It was like relaxing or whatever, have like the heavy mm -hmm. thing over your face. I like woke up and I could my eyes wouldn't focus for like three hours. Oh, I, like, I swear, like I don't I don't drink, I don't do drugs. Mm -hmm. Like I had I had taken nothing. It was just like the the pressure on my eyes while I was asleep. Mm -hmm. I just woke up and like everything was blurry. So I like I had that whole conversation with you and I like couldn't really see your face. <laughs> I was like, I'm probably coming off so weird right now. I'm like, hi. <laughs> On on the bright side, <laughs> at least I stand apart from a scope perspective. Yeah, yeah you're like, like had I been your average five eight five nine dark haired folk musician, you would have been like, fuck, it's gonna be hard recognizing him tomorrow. <laughs> like, hey, this, which one was yeah. that? Like <laughs> <laughs> to have six and a half a tall, you know, wild wild bushy me coming up. The bed. She oh. was laughing at me so hard. Just like leave it, you leave it to the the like one teetotaler folk musician running around to like have this issue because he got a face mask he couldn't handle I'm just like, <laughs> that's awesome it was so that's weird awesome. it was so weird <laughs> it's but like the 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 joy is i get to, like i had a great time talking to you there and if it weren't for this thing, I don't know that we would have talked again until you know Nerfa this year. Yeah. Uh, you were on my you were on my short list for uh, the lounge stage, um, and I was planning on talking to you about it until you said that you were going to be up in Casco, and I was like, "That's I don't want to make anyone in the middle of Casco try to do yeah. a concert from there. That's not a that's not a great plan." So I was like, "I'll wait till he comes back, and then I'll hit him up for doing a show." Um, but you know, I, I love that I've got to have these conversations with people like you and, you know, moving forward, hopefully we, we get to talk more regularly because uh, yeah. you know, I think we're all in this together and the, you know, for better, or for worse, the nice thing that Jake and I have going for us is we've never relied on our music to make our income, yeah. um, which 
sounds maybe conceited in some way, but what I mean by that is we're able to do this hoping that it may make an income for us, but if it doesn't, we can try something else. Mm -hmm. You know, we can, we can figure that out. Um, because I really, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm loving the comments they are still coming yeah. in. Um, <clears throat> to answer your question, Sings With You, who I happen to know is Shefley Sanyal, a good friend of mine, um, is because I am in a small office and I don't run the air conditioner during the show because it makes a lot of noise. Listen. Meaning I am <laughs> I am drenched. Uh, it's also why my face gets redder throughout the night. It's not, it's not the half drink of alcohol I have over three hours that does it. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, I'm just I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in seeing how people figure out not just how to deal with this, but how to change so that if there is a back to normal after all of this, mm -hmm. that we're all better prepared for it. Yes. Um, you know, I totally I was talking to one of my dear friends who I don't you actually may know them. This band called Megan Jean and the KFB. Um, I know the name. I don't know them like, personally. But. They were like the first band I ever saw and the first musicians I ever met who were like doing it full time and weren't like signing t-shirts after their arena show. Like, they, yeah. you know, they were like living out of a Honda element and like playing in an Ethiopian restaurant on U Street down in D.C. And yeah. they're still like really good friends and mentors of mine. I was talking to Megan like two nights ago and she was just like, yeah, I feel like it's driving home the idea for artists that like we have to own the things that we need to get our work out there and we've yeah. like gotten comfortable relying on all the different cogs in this industry to do so much of yeah. that work for us and i think we've just realized like it can collapse and we need yeah. to have what we need so it's definitely that was a you know yeah yeah and and what i'm interested in sort of seeing on the flip side because obviously there's our experience as artists and and what this mm -hmm. is sort of meant and I'm lucky enough to be dating a wonderful woman who is a singer songwriter and she does rely on that income. So watching what she's going through and, you know, obviously my heart's going out to a lot of her frustration because her happiness with electronics is not quite the same as mine. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm interested in also in, in addition, seeing how venues end up learning from this experience. Yes like the venue that figures out how to run and produce an online show. If we get back to a realm where there is a live show, what's to stop them from doing a live end stream show and finding ways to double that income source, essentially. Yeah. I really think both are going to be happening from now onward. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was happening before. Like, I think Jalopy Theater did a lot of yep. streams of live concerts. I feel like I saw Pasim and the Freight and Salvage do that before this all went down. Yeah. So I feel like there is some of the, like, iconic venues have been on that train for a bit. But I feel like this forced everyone to jump on. Yeah, exactly. And that was, it was, there, there was a lot of toes in the water kind of thing. And, and you know, uh seems a great example they were using i'm gonna blank on the name of the service um there there was a specific concert window yeah 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 so they're using concert window and for the life of me and i don't mean this is not disparaging to that service but for the life of me i never understood why we were using that as opposed to youtube or as because like 
Concert Window, like at its peak, had four developers working with it, and it was a team of five or six people. And it was so sort of so specific to the root scene that it never had the opportunity to really bring in a larger audience mm -hmm. because it was specifically built for an audience and it was only targeted to that audience. And that my, my big thing with YouTube is YouTube's owned by Google. It's going to be around forever yep. and they are going to toss more money into making it more and more useful forever. Twitch is owned by Amazon. Probably not going anywhere. Yeah. So, so there's that that side of me that like, and and this gets into you know the point I was making earlier about trying to find ways to make ethical decisions in what you use. And I'm, yeah. I'm never going to be the one that claims that either Google or Amazon is uh, you know above board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in in the same way, you know, you you can. I, I do believe it's reasonable to find ways to make use of things, and if you can find a way to make Amazon fairly pay you as a creator for what you're doing, I mean, why not? I guess. Yeah. To a certain extent. Um, and, you know, I fully admit that that might just be, you know, me hand waving at what could be hard ethical. Uh, well, I feel like otherwise. we're right now, the problem is with, I think we're finding out that a lot of the alternatives we had in place don't really work in this moment. I mean, I hadn't, I like had canceled my Amazon account. I hadn't paid a cent to Jeff Bezos in two or three years <laughs> before this happened. And then I moved, you know, I moved literally in February. So yeah. I like didn't have stuff in my apartment. I got some of it at Target, but then I went on tour and then I came <laughs> back and I couldn't go to Target anymore. It's like, I've really had to like, just break down and like i subscribed to the washington post because i needed to know what was going on and jeff bezos yep. owns that and yep. like you know there's just it's hard to avoid all of it um and there are ways but it's one of those things of especially right now when all we have are these online platforms to make our money we have to make a bargain with one of these many devils um mm -hmm. you know until there's uh community-based open source streaming platform that people know about and will mm -hmm. find our stuff on we don't have an alternative and you know the the flip side is finding ways to make it work for you so like one of the things with twitch is if someone has an amazon prime account they can subscribe to and essentially give a creator five dollars for free every month mm -hmm. um yeah. so it's it's there's just there's sort of this built-in thing that like i don't know i uh, again i i worry that i might be ethically hand-waving to some degree but um to fix anything you have to work within a system you, like it, it's uh was i was talking to in the conversation we were having with randy green about you know the people uh, he was talking about black lives matter and specifically i mean they're in philadelphia so Ooh. The, their reality with that shit was very different than certainly mine and uh you know cobblestone street uh <laughs> tall ship newburyport um but you know he was he was talking about the the people on either side that are sitting there saying burn it all down and the fact of the matter is we don't have the resources to do that like we yeah. can't do that and still be a functioning society. 
Yeah. So there's some like gotta extent. be organizing steps. Yep. And in this moment, I think we're realizing like, at least for me, I don't have like the tech skill to build the streaming platform that I want to see. Right. Or mm -hmm. whether that means like streaming music or streaming video out like this. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is a moment to like study up on harm reduction and like, how can I make mm -hmm. sure I'm doing the least amount of damage with the options that are available to me while still making enough money to pay my rent. Um, yes. and it's a moment to be like, yes, there is a gap here. And perhaps when the moment comes and somebody tries to fill it in and say, this is a streaming platform that pays artists equitably, or this is a streaming platform where artists can reach their audience and it's not going into the pocket of Jeff Bezos, who doesn't need yep. any more money. Yep. We're ready to jump on it. Um, yep. It's it's a moment where all of the shortcomings are being laid bare, but we also have to work with what we have right now. Yep. No one is in a position to voluntarily make things harder for themselves. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, I, I hope, uh, I hope more people in our, in our field sort of start realizing that and yeah. trying to find more sustainable ways to go about this. Totally. I got to run. Cause yep. my oh, good. is like, I, I walked out, but when you were ending the, the podcast and he's like, got a migraine on the couch and I'm in the bedroom. So I want to give him the bedroom. Oh, but. good. Thank you so much, Jake. <laughs> Honestly, I, I appreciate all the time. I appreciate the conversation. This was really a ball. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. One last comment coming in. Harm reduction philosophy. Agreed. <laughs> gotta um, do what you yeah. gotta do. Yeah. All right. Um, have a great one. Yeah, you too. Uh,